You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Let's hear the word of the Lord. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity when the earth totters and all its inhabitants. It is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all of the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy and sacred word, Father. And as we considered last week, Lord, you've, you've exalted above all things your name and your word. It's your word. You've given us your word, O oh Lord. It cannot fail. It cannot be anything but completely trustworthy and truthful. So, O oh Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask, O oh Father, that you, its author, you, the speaker, the Father, you would be pleased to teach us this morning. You'd be pleased to guide us and lead us, O oh Father, and to take our hearts, Lord, and make them more and more like Christ, Father, as we've prayed many times through the course of this service and the week. Father, we look to you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our, our psalm begins with the word thanks. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. Notice the repetition there. And for this reason, a lot of commentaries will, will um, classify this psalm as a thanksgiving psalm. I mean, the psalm could just say, we give thanks to you, O God, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. It could say that, but it doesn't. For emphasis, it says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. So you'll notice the repetition of thanksgiving. And what we're going to see here in our psalm is we have a blueprint, if you will, of a perfect worship service going on here. Notice the plurality. It doesn't say, I give thanks to you, O God. I give thanks. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, we give thanks. What's that mean? You know, we presume from this that the assembly is gathered together. What is the assembly doing? The assembly is giving thanks to God. And what have we been doing for the last, uh, well, I don't know, 40 minutes or so, however long it's been. I don't know how long it's been. But we're giving thanks to God, aren't we? And notice that the psalmist says, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. The ARP Psalter uh, translates this. Um, we find a place for you, Psalm 75. You don't need to turn there, but Psalm 75 translates these words this way. To you, O God, we render thanks. To you give thanks sincere, because your wondrous works declare that your great name is near. Isn't that beautiful? I'll read it to you again. To you, O God, we render thanks. To you, give thanks sincere, because your wondrous works declare that your great name is near. Then what do we do? If you think about it, this is a perfect blueprint 
It's a blueprint of a perfect worship service. We begin by giving thanks, but as we begin to give thanks, what do we thank God for? We thank Him for His wondrous works, don't we? And we might ask ourselves the question right now, what wondrous works? We could think of creation, although I don't think creation is exactly what's in view here. But oftentimes the psalmist looks back to creation, looks back to the, just the, the sheer awesomeness, if you will, of God's creative activity. But I think what's more so in view here are the redeeming miracles that we have through Scripture. Like, for example, the... Um, uh, God leading Israel across the Red Sea, if you will, on dry ground. Or we might think of God leading Israel across the Jordan in the same way, you know, as he brings them into the promised land. Now, this is what the uh, saints in the Old Testament economy would have given thanks to, but here we come in the new economy, in the new covenant, and we have even greater things to praise God for, don't we? Here we are at the heels of the uh, season of Advent. And what have we been focusing on for the season of Advent? God stepping in time, space, and history in Christ Jesus as Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So you see the linkage between declaring the wondrous works of God and his nearness. God has stepped in time, space, and history in the person of Jesus Christ as Emmanuel, God with us. So as we proclaim these, and this is what a good worship service does, is proclaim these things. And as we proclaim these things, we're reminded of the truth that God is with us, that he is near us, aren't we? Think of the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. We don't just celebrate that on Easter, do we? Nor do we just simply celebrate uh, the incarnation in the season of Advent. So, Donald, you can choose these songs any time of the year you like. We will sing them happily. Because these truths are not just for a set time. We do, we do set time aside for these truths, but these truths are with us. We proclaim these wondrous works, and in proclaiming these wondrous works, we're reminded of the wonderful fact that God is near us, isn't he? He is near us. But think about that for a moment. Right now as we speak, God is near you. He is near me. He is near us. And this is what the psalmist is doing. We give thanks to you, O God. Oh, we give thanks. Your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Now, just like any good worship service, God speaks. You know, uh, before every service, we always gather together. Uh, and what do we pray for? We go in that little room. You guys know that we go. What are we doing in that little room? We're praying for the Lord to speak to us in, this, in the course of the service. Speak to us, O Father, through your word. Speak to us, O Lord. Visit us with your presence. And if you look at verses 2 through 5, you see there God speaks to his, his people who are assembled and giving thanks to him. And this is why it's so important to assemble and give thanks to the Lord. Listen, worship is not a spectator sport. You can watch football on TV just fine enough, but worship involves us getting together, gathering together. I mean, if circumstances keep us from being able to be together, that's a different matter. That's what the cameras are for. That's what the live feed and everything is for, to reach out to people that don't know the Lord and to be able to reach out to people that can't otherwise be here. But otherwise, we are called in Christ to gather together, aren't we? And we're called to gather. And as we gather, the Lord speaks to us. In verse 2, the Lord says, At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. Do you hear the sovereignty in those words? At the set time 
that I appoint. How often do we hear the psalmist say, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long? Until the set time. You know, you think God makes a promise in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3.15, he makes the promise of a son. And how many years go by between Genesis 3.15 and Bethlehem? How many years? We don't know the answer to that. Years ago, folks, theologians tried to come up with it, and you ended up with the, uh, the James Usher calculations, and some of the old King James Bibles had those dates. They were following the genealogies, and you can't do that because sometimes the genealogies will skip generations, and they're not intended to, to do that. They have other purposes. Um, but we don't know the length of time. But think about how long between God making that promise in Eden and, and him coming in Jesus in Bethlehem, many, many, many hundreds of years go by. And there's probably many, many, many long seasons where it seems as God has forgotten about his promise. But the Apostle Paul, reflecting on it all, said, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time come, God made good on his promise. And we see this over and over again. And here we see that the Lord will judge with equity. We do not need to worry what the Lord's political persuasion is because it's not going to affect his judgment. His judgment will be based on the law and the law alone. Isn't that refreshing? We don't have to worry about whether we have our guy or their guy or this guy or that guy on the bench. The Lord is on the bench. Isn't that wonderful news? Regardless of what our political persuasion, the Lord is on the bench. How is he going to judge? He's going to judge with equity. And here, another thought before we move on, and one I have alluded to already this morning, is man with all of his technology... With all of our gadgets and all of our technological breakthroughs, we've not been able to liberate ourselves from one single second of time. I mean, let's listen to that clock just for a moment. Click, 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 click. We are all under those clicks. And as those clicks go by and the calendar rolls to 2023, time keeps marching to the pace that God has set for us. And we're all bound in that, aren't we? We're all bound in that. And we're told that the times and places for us to be born have all been established by God. 1967, July 3rd, I was born right across the river. I didn't have nothing to do with it. Nothing. And we each have, our, we each have our, our story, don't we? And all of the days for us have been ordained before one of them come to pass, Psalm 139. A lot of great theology in the Psalter. So today could be the very last day that I back my car out of the driveway in this life. I don't know if anybody likes to think, well, we don't like to think about that. Actually, we should think about that. Why? Because if it is, I'm perfectly fine with it quite to be quite truthful, I am perfectly fine if this is the last time. Why? Because what awaits the beauty of Jesus? Isn't this what the Apostle Paul says? In fact, he can't even make up his mind. What should I do? Should I depart or should I stay? It's for the benefit of the church that I stay, but oh, it's gain for me if I go. Isn't that what he says? Do you believe that? Because when we depart from this life at that set time, each one of us has a set time for that. Each one of us has a time to be born, says Solomon, and a time to die. At that set time, behold, if you're in Christ, you're going to behold the beauty of Jesus. 
You're going to behold the angels worshiping him. How awesome that sight must be. And to hear the songs. Oh, we like some of our songs. We love some of our songs, but we're not going to miss our songs when we get to heaven. Nor are we going to miss these voices. I know I'm not going to miss this one. Neither will you. You're not going to miss it either. So, but these are things we should set our minds on because this is eternity. At the set time, I appoint, I will judge with equity. Look at verse 3. We need to spend a little bit of time with it. I could, we could continue in verse 2 the rest of the morning. Verse 3, when the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it's I who keeps steady its pillars. We so need verse 3 in our hearts. We need verse 3 every time we watch the news. I mean, when you watch the news and you look at where the state of things are, have you ever said, have you ever watched the news and you've watched what's going on and say, this can't continue to go on. This is coming off the tracks. What is this world coming to? How many times have you said, what is this world coming to? Every time we say that, we should think of Psalm 75 and verse 3, when the earth totters and all its inhabitants. In other words, what is this world coming to? Well, it's the Lord who keeps steady its pillars. You know, I was watching um, over, the, uh, over Christmas, I watched a, one newsreel. It was um, apparently, you know, one of the latest fashion crazes that go through TikTok. And I just want to warn our youngsters about this stuff. You know, these fashion crazes that go through TikTok, even on this a documentary, people would seem to be positive for this, said, listen, these things come and they go. Sometimes they last six months. Sometimes they last six days. They're like these crazes that go viral, and I guess chubby cheeks are out. The kids don't want chubby cheeks. They want to have these little dents, you know, on both sides of the face, and they've got these surgeries that they're, that they're, they're doing. And, and, I'm, uh, and, and I, I'm watching this program, and I'm seeing, okay, here's little Junior, and he's looking in a mirror at himself. And one of the most disturbing things about the thing was, the whole thing was the way these kids were looking at themselves in the mirror. I mean, as soon as I saw that, I was just felt, felt deeply disturbed by the way they were looking at themselves in the mirror. And they've got these chubby cheeks, and they've got to go. And they would show them before they had the surgery, then they would show them after. And apparently, they're just they're going in, and they're taking some of this fat. Has anyone heard of this? They're taking this fatty tissue off the sides of their faces, and they'll show them. They'll show them. But the whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, people don't think past the next 60 minutes. I mean, what, what's going to become of these, of these youngsters when they're 45, 55, 65? You know, are they, are, they, are they saying, you know what? I want to make it on the cast of the Pirates of the Caribbean, and I want to do it without makeup. Is that what they're saying to themselves? Because what's going to become of their faces? I'm thinking all this stuff while this is going on. And then they bring in this doctor, and this doctor says, I don't do this anymore. Uh, I'm not doing this anymore because we don't know what the long-term effects of this are. And I'm thinking to myself, but you've already done many of these. Shouldn't you have known what the long-term effects were before you did one of them? And there's all of these alterations that people are doing to their body. And, and there's, you got to ask yourself, these kids were young. I'm thinking, where are the parents here? How does little Junior go and have a surgery? I mean, how does little Junior go and get this surgery? And they're showing him before and her before and showing them after. And yeah, there was this, the, the difference was this, there's just these little dents, just for these little dents. You watch this stuff and you think, this place is, this world has become as nutty as it can possibly get. 
How could it get any, how can it continue on like this? Verse number three, when the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it's I who keeps steady its pillars. God will keep steady its pillars until Jesus returns, won't he? So regardless of what it looks like, we've got God's word to know that God has it in control. God's sovereignty is very much one of the major themes through this, through this great psalm. Now, in verses first four and five are, are parallel with one another. There's some parallels, parallelism going on here. Verse four, I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. There you'll see boastful and wicked in parallel, and this idea of boasting and lifting up your horn in parallel. And a lot of times we don't think of boasting as wickedness, but here we see in biblical categories, that's what it is. Boastfulness is wickedness. And if you look up, you see the, the parallel between do not boast and do not lift up your horn. What's it mean to lift up your horn? A horn is a metaphor of power. And that's why I chose the Second Kings reading. If you go back there again, there's, there's a few places in Scripture that we could have chose. But here we have really one of the, one of the most graphic examples of a man lifting up his horn against the Holy One of Israel. And it's a king, Sennacherib is his name. He's the king of Assyria. Some of you are familiar with the history. Um, he, he has been, uh, Assyria has been rising in power. They've been defeating town after town, king after king, village after village. They were ruthless. And, and really, just the, the, the army was bad news. I mean, it was bad news to fall into their hands. And they send, Sennacherib sends these officers to the people of Jerusalem in order to taunt them. If you look at for, uh, 2 Kings 18, verse 29, these officers speaking for Sennacherib says, do not, to the people of Israel, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. So he's boasting. But look at verse 30. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. And now one of you might be saying, wait a second, all the words are capitalized there. The letters are capitalized, aren't they? Yeah, they're capitalized. And that means that the divine name, Yahweh, is being translated. He isn't saying that, is he? Yes, he is. He is saying, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in Yahweh. That is what he is saying. I say, well, this sounds like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Ultimately, follow the source of this. It goes back to the same source. This is satanic. Make no mind about it. It is satanic. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us from, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Hear that voice? We need to recognize that evil voice. Come out to me, make peace with me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink from the water of his own cistern. Verse 33, skip down. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his, hand, his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Verse 35, who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? You see, Lord capitalized again. You see him taunting. If you skip, you go to chapter 19, verse 10. Thus says you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king. You see these taunts. Now, what does Hezekiah do? Well, there's a little more to the story than this, but long story short, Hezekiah prays. 
And God hears his prayer, and he sends Isaiah to Hezekiah in chapter 19. And if you look at verse 20 there, here's part of what Isaiah has for Hezekiah. Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you. The virgin daughter of Zion, she wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Who have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. Now, in, in the categories, in the words of Psalm 75, he is lifting his horn against the Most High. He's lifting his horn. Now, we could, have, we, could, we could go through the Scriptures and find other examples of this. We could find them all day long. We could go to Pharaoh and find examples of this. We could go to the New Testament and find examples of this with Herod. And besides that, let's not think that only leaders can do this, for we have leaders doing this. You watch the news tonight, undoubtedly you'll see people in Washington doing this. Did you hear what I, did you catch that? They're doing this as they advocate things that are very clearly abominable to God, and they tell you, don't trust in your grandmother's scripture. Trust in the science, if you will. Trust in this. It's the same voice, everyone. You can hear it all day long. Now, what is the end? What becomes of these characters? What, is, what, is, what else does Isaiah have to say to uh, uh, Sennacherib? If you look down to um, verse 25, God says, this is uh, first, 2 Kings 19 again, verse 25. God says, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins. In other words, what he's saying to the king of Assyria is your success on the battlefield is success that I have given you. And I didn't just, it's just not an afterthought of mine. I determined it long ago. So what are you doing boasting? If you look at verse 27, I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. And because you have raged against me and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way which you came. And should any leader or anyone maintain lifting his horn against the Most High and not come to repentance, this will be the end of every single one of them. This will always be the case. We can take that to the bank. And with those words, let's go back to Psalm, back to Psalm 1, uh, to 75. This idea of lifting your horn, this idea can also be, you know, this, this warning would also apply to any time, any time. We want to do it our way. You know that old, that sentiment, I want to do, I want to do this my way. I never looked it up. But I understand, I don't know if it's still the case, but I understand for a period of time, one of the most popular songs at funerals in the United States was Frank Sinatra's My Way. I never looked it up to see if it's true, but I've heard it from so many people that I assume that it's true. My Way. When the Lord is telling us, don't lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. So much more could be said. The Lord has spoken. The assembly have gathered. They're giving thanks to the Lord. 
They're recounting his wondrous deeds in verse 1, and they've, they, we can conclude that God is with us because we're recounting his wondrous deeds. And then the Lord speaks to the congregation. We have the blueprint here of a perfect worship service. God speaks, verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. And then in 6, 7, and 8, we get a sermon. Imagine that. We're going to get a sermon out of the deal. What's going on in verse 6? Well, now some contemplation, if you will, and some discussion of what the Lord has said. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Now, a great example of this, and we don't need to turn to any passage of Scripture, but let's just think about it. Think about the, the raising of King David. If we think about that history, you know, Saul has been chosen as king. The people choose um, Saul. They choose him by outward appearance. Um, and how does, Saul's, how does Saul's kingdom go? It's a disaster, isn't it? And the Lord's determined to, uh, uh, to take the kingdom away from Saul. And he speaks to Samuel, and he says, Samuel, I'm going to lead you to my chosen one, to my anointed. He is a son of Jesse. So Samuel goes to Jesse, and Samuel asks to see Jesse's sons. And Jesse brings seven of his sons to Samuel. And in the course of Samuel looking at each one, the Lord is whispering in Samuel's ear, listen, don't man chooses by outward appearance, but I choose from the heart. And Samuel looks at each one, and he concludes, no, it's... There isn't uh, it, it, none of none of these none of these Jesse and and in First um, uh, Samuel sixteen verses eleven and twelve, Jesse says the, uh, or Samuel says these words to Jesse are all your sons here, and he said there remains yet the youngest but behold he's keeping the sheep you can almost see that oh yeah they're, they're not all here but there's a, there's the youngest I mean he but but he's keeping sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we'll not sit down until he comes. And he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. It's David. He's the youngest of the bunch. And what is David doing? You know, it's interesting. We need to think about what exactly is David doing? He's tending faithfully to his assignment. That's what he's doing. And that's what he would have, that's, I presume that's what David would have done with the rest of his life. And it would have been fine with him. But it's the Lord who raises up. David, in other words, David is not jockeying for this position. You know, when you start speaking to our culture along these lines, expect pushback. I did it several times over the summer, and oh, did I get pushback. Because this stands against the grain of the American dream that says you can be anything you want. That's not true. At five foot nine inches, I cannot be an NBA basketball star. <laughs> I can try. I can travel to the east, travel to the west, go to the desert. I can go to all these places, find the best coach. You're a foot too short, young man. Uh, by the way, you're not a young man. I can try to imagine this all I want. But you see, when people keep being told over and over again for a generation or two that you can be anything you want, it's not long before people take this out to the logical conclusion and say, you know, I really think I'd rather be a cat. And we wonder, where in the world did that come from? You can't be anything. You know, God has created each one of us. He's gifted each one of us, and he has gifted us so that we will serve him where he wants us to serve him. Does that make sense? 
Where's Dave? Where, where, do you have any more sons, Jesse? Well, we have David. He's out there tending sheep. Go get him. We won't sit down and eat until he's here. He's the one. Now Saul tries to stop it, doesn't he? You read that history? It's gripping. You read that history? Saul does everything he can at every turn to try to stop David. But guess what? Saul's going down, and Saul cannot stop it. And David is being raised. And there you have the words of the Psalter. For not, for not from east or from west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it's God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. I'm so thankful for the, the courage of this scholar who writes. This is in a modern commentary. He writes, the old preachers didn't hesitate to preach this way, but you don't find this a lot in some of the newer commentaries. He writes, quote, humans drawing on their own resources cannot successfully lift themselves up, end of quote. I tip my hat to him. Daniel Estes is his name. I got his commentary on Kindle for $7.99, an 895-page commentary. I've only, I've only studied Psalm 75 in it. It only covers Psalm 73 through the rest of the Psalter. It doesn't cover the first half. $7.99. His work on Psalm 75 was, was great. I'm going to read it to you again. Humans drawing on their resources cannot successfully lift themselves up. We need to keep that in our minds. We could spend all morning on each one of these points. Look at verse 8. We need to spend some time on verse 8. If there's a subject that gets skipped, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. I don't like long quotes from the pulpit because it sends your mind efficient because you don't have the quote in front of you. But I'm going to break that right now and let Mr. Spurgeon do the talking because only Spurgeon could say what you're about to hear here, uh, commenting on verse number eight, for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup. Listen to what Spurgeon says in his comments on this verse. He says, the punishment of the wicked is prepared. God himself holds it in readiness. He has collected and concocted woes most dread, and in the chalice of, this, of his wrath he holds it. They scoffed his feast of love. They shall be dragged to his table of justice and made to drink their due desserts. And the wine is red. The retribution is terrible. It is blood for blood, foaming vengeance for foaming malice. The very color of divine wrath is terrible. What must the taste be? It is full of mixture. Spices of anger, justice, and incensed mercy are there. Their misdeeds, their blasphemies, their persecutions have strengthened the liquor as with potent drugs, mingled strong, mantling high. Behold the wrath divine. Ten thousand woes are burning in the depths of that fiery cup, which to the brim is filled with indignation, and he poureth out the same. The full cup must be quaffed. The wicked, must, the wicked cannot refuse the terrible drought. For God himself pours it out for them and into them. Vain are their cries and entreaties. They could once defy him, but that hour is over, and the time to requite them is fully come. But the dregs thereof, all of the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. Even to the bitter end must the wrath proceed. They must drink on and drink on forever, even to the bottom where lies the leaves of deep damnation. These they must suck up, and still must they drink the cup, drain the cup. All the anguish and the heartbreak of the day of wrath. Mark well, it is for all the wicked, all hell for all the ungodly, the dregs for the dregs, bitter for the bitter, wrath for their heirs of wrath. Righteousness is conspicuous, but over all terror spreads a tenfold night, cheerless without star. 
That should cause our, our souls to tremble and tingle. As we think about this, we should hear about this. We need to communicate this. And I know it's not fun. It's not even fun for me to read this passage as much as I, lo- I like and enjoy reading Spurgeon, these truths. But before we leave this subject, there's one thought here. On, on the night that Jesus is betrayed, when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying before the Lord, one of the things that he says is, Lord, if there be some other way, Take this cup from me. What cup? That cup. The cup of God's wrath. There's a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it. And the Holy One of Israel drinks it so that we do not have to. You see, you can ignore the wrath of God. We can ignore the justice and holiness of God. But we do so at the expense of the mercy and the expense of the extraordinariness of our Savior. Don't we? Because if the gospel message is we just need a little help to get by, well, then the message is cheap, and we don't need a very big Savior, but that's not who Jesus is. No one understood Psalm 75, verse 8, like Jesus. And Jesus understood he would have to drink from that cup in order to take this away. And that shines new light on the table as we come to it this morning, doesn't it? This is the cup of the new covenant poured out. What tremendous cost. What tremendous love. I I just can't help but to think of that praise song. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life, what more? Could he give? It's not just simply a death, though. Not just simply a death. Not just simply dying and giving up the life. He drank this cup to save us. Now, that makes verse 9 make so much sense, doesn't it? Look at verse 9. I will declare it forever. I will not just declare it. No, we saw this last week. I will sing praises to the to the God of Jacob. I won't just declare these. In fact, I can't just declare these things. I can't simply just chant these things. I have to sing these things. This has to be sung. The gospel is to be sung, isn't it? The mercy of God is to be sung. The praises of God are to be sung. I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. When we've been there 10,000 days, there'll be no less days to sing his praise than in the hour in which we first begun. Look at verse 10. And all the horns of the wicked will, I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Who do you suppose is speaking in verse 10? Who's speaking? All of the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Anyone. Who's speaking? Who has to be speaking in this verse? 
Don't be bashful. Who is it? Yes, it's God, isn't it? I am astounded by how many commentaries will not give God verse 10. Some of whose names, if I mentioned, you'd recognize. They ascribe it to the earthly king. I'm so happy that the ARP Psalter ascribes it to God. How do we know that? Because they capitalize H, the pronoun, they capitalize it. And that's the title of this morning's message, in case you've been wondering. What is the title of this message? The title is God Has the Last Word. We need to remember that. And that brings this whole thing. God has the last word, doesn't he? His sovereignty. You know, here we are bowing before his sovereignty. Remember the clock? Click, 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 click. The last 60 minutes, we can't get them back. They're gone, aren't they? But how well they've been invested this morning. How well they've been invested. We don't want them back. We don't want them back. We've got all eternity before us. And what have the last 60 minutes been involved in? Preparing us for that eternity. Oh, Lord, cause your time to click by. Let it click by. We will have nothing to do with looking back the good old days. You cause your time to keep clicking by, clicking by in your sovereignty because our best lives are just, a, they're just around the horizon. Our race is 60 minutes near to its end than it was when we sat down here, isn't it? 60 minutes closer to beholding Jesus in his beauty and in his splendor and his majesty and his grace. 60 minutes closer to hearing those seraphim proclaim, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 60 minutes closer to being able to see the saints who've gone high, to see Luther, to see Calvin, to see Augustine, to see all these people. Praising the Lord. What a beautiful future we have. This is how we bring in 2023. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, for your goodness, your grace, your wonder, your mercy. O Father, how we praise you. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks to you for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds, O Lord. Oh, Father, we are so happy that you have the last word on all this. As we look at the news, we look at our culture, we look at where things are going. How can this continue, oh, Father? How can it continue? Because you hold up its pillars. You've set a time for all things. It's a time to be born, a time to die. There's a time to repent. The time of repentance is now. There's a time to be saved. There's a time to enjoy you for all eternity. These things are all in your sovereign hand, Father. We thank you for each one. And Father, oh Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.